The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org give. A reading from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 15 through 31. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan, and that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land, I must not go over the Jordan, but you shall go over and take possession of that good land, Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, I shall call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over to the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Stephanie, for reading the Word of God today. We continue in our series on Deuteronomy, covenantal clarity. As the first generation is passed on, the second generation stands, as you have heard week after week, stands on the, the plains of Moab on the shores of promise. And Moses preaches to them. Deuteronomy is preaching three sermons, mainly. And so when we preach Deuteronomy, we're preaching, preaching. Moses is telling the people what they should remember, how they should think, how they should live as they are in this 
momentous place as the people of God. Here he addresses something, if you read the rest of the story, you know will be their struggle. He knows it's coming and he gives them the word of the Lord. Their struggle is our struggle. I hope that all of us will realize that today and find Jesus, our only hope. Let's pray together. We are so thankful, Father, that we are able to hear a sermon so long ago that speaks of the truths we now need. That is an unbelievable grace. And so we are not on the shores of Moab. We gather here today on Lookout Mountain in a time when our, our temptations may be different, but our hearts are the same. So our need is much the same, and we pray that through your word and through your spirit, you would help us this morning to really listen with our hearts. Give us discernment that we might know the idols of our hearts. And give us hope and power that we might dismantle those idols and replace them with Christ the only one worthy of worship. All of us need this prayer to be answered, including the one who speaks. So come, Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. In Thomas Brooks' work, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, Brooks reveals how we, as people, are hunted, hunted by the evil one with deceptive lies and shrewd methods as he seeks to lure us away from the God who made us and who we have been made for. And this is how Brooks describes our dilemma concerning how evil hunts his prey, the people of God. Please hear this. It is his goal to present the bait and hide the hook. To present the golden cup and hide the poison. To present the sweet, the pleasure, and the profit that may flow by yielding to sin and by hiding from the soul the wrath and misery that will certainly follow the committing of sin. And by this device he took our first parents. The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God does know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. You shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Your eyes shall be open. You shall be as gods. You see the bait, the sweet, the pleasure, the prophet promised. Oh, but he hides the hook. He hides the shame. He hides the wrath. He hides the loss that would certainly follow. Essentially, Brooks is telling us that the tempter always offers an apple in exchange for paradise, and it's always poison. The dangerous and deadly allure to worship idols is the heart of Moses preaching in this part of his sermon. God's covenant people are called 
to constant watchfulness. Because of who God is, because of what God's done, because of the consequences of obedience and sin, and because he is a compassionate God, we are called to constant watchfulness. And that's the first point. Called to constant watchfulness because of our idolatrous tendencies. Why a mandate for such a watchfulness? Verse 15, he says, watch yourselves very carefully. In verse 16, he says, beware. In verse 19, he says, beware. In verse 23, he says, take care. Moses sees a coming dilemma. You don't pile those sorts of words on top of each other unless there is an obvious and a clear threat to the covenant people of God. And it is the pervasive and dangerous, idolatrous tendency in the human heart. Verses 16 through 18, he forbids them from making carved images of anything to to represent God. God has made humans in his image. We are not to be worshiped. And no other images to be made, but God would graciously send who? His son, the exact representation of his nature. No other images to be made. And then he speaks in verse 19 of those who have been handed over to worship the sun and the moon and the stars, that you are not to worship any created thing over your creator. He's getting at the heart of idolatry. Every act of idolatry in the human heart is when you exchange the worship of the creator for the worship of a created thing. Paul says that in Romans 1, and as we'll see later, it's unto your destruction. Moses is most concerned, it seems, in verse 23 when he says, Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you. Lest you forget, Moses anticipates this, that prosperity comes with a severe threat. It's called forgetfulness of God who gave you the good gifts. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, and he repeats it, Almost exactly the same in chapter 8, verses 11 through 14. Moses says these words. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, to give you great and good cities that you did not build. Houses full of all good things that you did not fill. Cisterns that you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant when you eat and are full. Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Why the mandate? Why the mandate for constant watchfulness? Because our hearts are full of idolatry. And when we taste prosperity, the forgetfulness goes up. Why? Because those good things God's given us become God's. And good things make terrible God's. 
You see, the mandate remains. This was not a mandate for back then. This was not just a problem then. This is a pervasive problem throughout the biblical story all the way to the 930 worship service at Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church. There is a clear biblical emphasis on the idolatrous heart. It is a problem of the heart. Listen to Ezekiel 14.3. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts. Paul in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 talks about, you know, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, and he says that's an idolater because greed and all those sins come out of the heart. And that's why John, the disciple who Jesus loved, ends his first letter with that curious verse, little children. Keep yourselves from idols. It's not a problem back then on the shores of Moab. It's a problem in the church because the problem is the heart. Martin Luther said, if a man will not have God, he must have idols. Idols are simply God substitutes. And they're not necessarily made of wood and stone or precious metal anymore, though maybe a house is and maybe that's an idol. Idols of that material kind were certainly in Moses' mind as he preached to the people, but idolatry now has primarily its place in the human heart. And rather than statues and pieces of wood, here's what it looks like. Many of the isms, self-worship, We call that narcissism. A fixation on pleasure to the fullest. We call that hedonism. Worldly wealth. Materialism. Worldly success. Workaholism. Worldly reputation. Power. Status. Respect of man. I have to have people approve me. Those are the idols of the heart. Anything is idolatrous if it comes between us and God. And we are being called in this text and throughout the biblical narrative to a constant, constant watchfulness. Guard your heart from idols. Why? Because that's the wellspring of life. What's there comes out. To live with watchfulness and vigilance over our idols. We really need to consider some real questions from David Pallison. Now with Jesus. Who wrote an article, The Idols of the Heart and Vanity Fair. He asked this question. Please, would you remember this? Write it down. Ask it of your heart. Has something or someone besides Jesus Christ, taken title to your heart's functional trust? Has something or someone besides Jesus Christ taken the title to your heart's functional trust, to your heart's preoccupation, to your heart's loyalty, service, fear, delight, 
To who or to what? Are we looking for stability? For security? For acceptance? When the markets go down and you taste fear, anxiety, or despair, your heart might be there. You see, the emotions of our heart are like the check engine light on our cars. You may want to pull over and look inside. Because if you do not, it's going to be what? To your destruction. You're going to be stranded. And so what I would offer to you today is this. If you find anger, pull over and look inside. Anger is there because something you presently think you have to have to be happy and satisfied is presently and currently being blocked or threatened. Because you understand this, right? You really do not discover your idols until they are threatened or lost. Because that's when the emotions start to fire. Anger is one is threatened in the present. Despair is something has been lost in the past that you thought you had to have in place of God. And anxiety has to do with you fear something's going to be lost in the future. Those emotions are pointing us to our idols. See the check engine light. Pull over. Look inside the heart. Moses says, watch yourselves. Beware. Beware. Take care. There's no place for laziness. In the Christian life, you'll take the bait every time. No complacency. We are being hunted. Watch yourselves. What's the motivation for such a mandate? And I am intentionally lingering on point one today. What is such a motivation for such a mandate? Well, verses 19 through 20, who God is. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heavens and when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you, has brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. Moses is describing the surrounding nations that are worshiping created things, but we're different. We've been taken by God. He might set us aright to, to do what we were made for. Moses earlier in Deuteronomy has already described how the nations will identify three outstanding things about Israel's God. Unlike the nation's gods who are silent, immobile, and deaf, Yahweh talks to his people. Verse 5, uh, see, I've taught you. Verse 15 here, the Lord spoke to you. Those other idols don't talk. You didn't know what they wanted. They manipulated you. You sacrificed your children for them. You're always left in the dark, but our God speaks. He makes clear. It says he comes near. Do you remember in verse 7? The way the Lord our God is near us, there's, there's no God like this. And then he hears your prayers, verse 7. Whenever we call on him, he, he hears our prayers. Hear me. The contrast between the Lord and false gods 
It's not a contrast of that which you see and that which you don't see, that which is spiritual and that which is material. It is actually this, that which is visible versus that which is audible. Idols have form, but don't speak. The Lord has no form, but decisively and clearly speaks to us. Idols are visible, but they are dumb. The Lord is invisible, but eloquent and clear, lovingly telling his people what he desires us to know and be. The other gods give no words, no clarity. And so what is the motivation for such a mandate of watchfulness? We have a God who speaks clearly and who has brought us out and brought us in and in love gives us his word. There's no one like our God. There's only one God. He doesn't leave us guessing. He doesn't leave us in manipulation. It's the God of revelation. So watch carefully. But he's also a jealous God as verse 24 says, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. This is true. God will have no rivals in the hearts of his people. And that is why he is so lovingly bothersome of you. Are you bothered by your sin? Rejoice. You know the God, Yahweh, who's jealous. He will tear down every idol. Fully and finally in the end. But that is his work right now. He has made us. Verse 20. He has taken us. He has brought us out of the iron furnace. Out of Egypt. Out of slavery. He has made us. Listen. His exclusive people. So it is completely right and holy that he says, I am after you exclusively. I want exclusive place in your heart and because of his goodness and his rescue and his worthiness we should be motivated for a mandate of watchfulness for he is gloriously unique singularly worthy a jealous God who has rescued us he's redeemed us he's rescued us he's adopted us verse 21 it says for the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance He's giving to us. He's redeeming us. That's why watchfulness. Because of who God is and what God's done. Watchfulness to guard our heart from idols is a most right response to the loving, redemptive God of the covenant. Laziness to watch seemingly declares God unworthy of our fierce fight. Is he worthy? Then let's watch and guard our hearts. Now God's covenant people are secondly given clear warning about the consequences of idolatry. There is further motivation in verses 25 through 28 and the motivation is this. God alone delivers life and joy, and idols always deliver death and destruction. 
Moses just makes it real clear. He says in verse 25, when you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, remember he's a jealous God, I call heaven and earth to witness against you that, watch these words, you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be destroyed and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples. You will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. Perish, destroyed, scatter, and few. Those are the opposites of covenantal blessing. Remember the promise to Abraham that you would be multiplied in many? Moses is saying, when you go after God's, there's no blessing there. You're getting the reverse. It's called the curse. You see, I really think Deuteronomy is going to teach us something. God's law is love. That he has given us clarity is love. And to keep the law, listen, is to enjoy God's love. Now notice I didn't say to keep the law was to earn God's love. But there is joy in keeping the law of God. And by the Spirit, we have power to do it. And you will find joy there and you will find death and scattering and loss when you go after idols. To obey the law is to live. You remember in last week he said in verse 1 and in verse 4, I'm giving you this law. Why? That you may live. Verse 4. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. The law is life. When you have the Spirit. To heed the law is to be rescued from enslaving masters and tyranny. Idols make big promises. You get this, you'll be happy. You'll be full, you'll be satisfied all the way back to the garden. But they always fail to deliver what they promise. And Psalm 115 points to this in verse 8. It says, those who make them become like them. So if I go after idols, it's saying that I will become like the idols what are they like? If you read verses 5 through 7 of Psalm 115, here, here it is. Listen. The idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but don't speak. They have eyes, but don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. They have noses, but they don't smell. They have hands, but they don't feel. Feet, but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. The point of Psalm 115 and the point of verse 28, if you looked at it, there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. The point of Psalm 115 and the point of verse 28 in Moses' sermon is this. Those who chase idols become like them. What are they like? Lifeless. They give the appearance of life, right? 
They got eyes, mouths, ears, but they're dead. Do you want life that is truly life? Watch your hearts that Jesus may be singularly worshiped, followed, and adored. That is not slavery. That is life. All you have to do is sit and think about the things you chased that were created. All you have to do is sit and think about the things you chased that were good. And you know the aftertaste is not what you thought it would be. You know deep in our soul that what, what Andy Crouch says of idols and playing God. He says, idols ask for more and more while giving less and less until eventually they demand everything and give nothing. The consequences of the curse and the consequences themselves, listen to me, are God's kindness. It's not merely some punitive thing that God makes you sense the dissatisfaction of idols. It's this. He knows in verse 29, but from there you will seek the Lord. Where is there? The empty place of worshiping idols that don't speak or hear or eat or smell. So he knows he must give us over to the consequences of our idols because why? It is from there, from having everything to losing everything that we will return. When we actually really realize that Jesus is enough. That all I have is Jesus and that's enough. So sometimes we won't value what we've lost until he brings us to our senses like the prodigal son and then we return to the father. And that's actually what you see in the final point that God's covenant people are promised a compassionate welcome upon our return, our repentance of idolatry. In verse 29 he says, but from there that low empty place, you'll seek the Lord your God and you'll find him. You, you will find him. And then in verse 30, you will return to the land, your Lord, your God, and obey his voice. You will return. You will find him. God will have his people. And when we return to him, what we find is verse 31. For the Lord, your God, is a merciful God. He will not leave you, though we've left him. He will not destroy you. The idols did. He will not forget you and the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. You see, how are we to return when we go after idols? Moses tells us something here. We're to return with all our heart, with all our soul, Verse 30, with a renewed sense to hear and obey. When you're in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you'll return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. How do you know if your idols are being dismantled and replaced with the only one worthy of worship? I'll tell you how. Obedience. Because we serve who we worship. 
If you want to know if your idols are really being dismantled by Jesus, you'll know it when you seek it with all your heart and you'll be able to see it by, I'm obeying. I'm actually making choices based on my love for Jesus. Then you'll know those idols are being dismantled. Our God is a jealous God, but I hope you hear in verse 31, he is a merciful God. That word compassionate and merciful speaks of a deep emotional attachment that when all else is done, predisposes the Lord to mercy. Listen, his mercy has the final say for his people. And that is really good news. God disciplines us. He lets us taste the emptiness of our idols, but he does not abandon us. He will never leave us. He will never forget the covenant. In his mercy, he will always welcome us back. And his son, Jesus, taught us that our hope is not in our faltering obedience, but in his work. That in John 6, 39, he said, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has been given me. You may leave your God for other idols, and I imagine this week that is ahead of us. But may we return, knowing he's merciful, he's jealous, and that's a good thing. He's worthy. He's, there's no God like him. May we return knowing the idols cannot deliver on their promises, whatever they are. As we come back, we know we will find mercy. I close with this. Ernest Hemingway in his short story, The Capital of the World, tells the story about a father and his teenage son, Paco. It's set in Spain. Paco was an extremely common name in Spain at that time. Paco desires to become a matador and to escape his father's control. And so he runs away to the capital of Spain, Madrid. His father is desperate to reconcile with his son, and so he follows him to Madrid. And he puts an ad in a local newspaper with a simple phrase. Dear Paco, Meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. Dad. Hemingway then writes that the next day at noon, in front of the newspaper office, there were 800 Pacos. Because <laughs> we long for a merciful, compassionate welcome home. When you stray, when you chase those idols this week, quickly come back. Your father is merciful and ready to welcome you home. And you'll find there's no one like him. Let's pray. Like Moses who spoke to the Israelites because of their hearts, he knew there would be a fight against idolatry and for worship. 
I am very confident that for every person in this room, there's going to be a fight this week having to do with who we worship. When we turn to the living God and taste blessings, give us thankfulness that you have given us all that we need by your spirit to do that. And when we depart, bring us back to you quickly with repentance, fully in the heart, receiving the goodness goodness of Jesus. Thank you for being a father who is jealous, but who is merciful and compassionate. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.